Welcome to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. We talk about the intersection of parenting and technology. Everything you need to know about raising kids in the digital age. This is Parenting Bites. Hi there, this is Amy Ostan, and welcome to Parenting Bites. I'm not usually the first voice you hear on our show, but my co-hosts are in Cambridge, Massachusetts today, speaking at something called the Sandbox Summit. But we have them by phone, so let's say hi to Rebecca Levy of KidsViews.com. Hi, Rebecca. Hello. Hello. And Andrea Smith of AndreaSmith.org, our tech maven. Hi, Andrea. Hello. How are you? Excellent. Um, I'm not alone here, though, in our New York studio. I have a very special guest with me today, Eric Messenger, editor of New York Family Magazine. Hi, Eric. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Hello hello to all three of you. Yes. (laughs) So this will be fun. This is the first time that two of the hosts are, are on the phone. Um, but thankfully on this location. time, yes, on location. Uh, but thankfully this time it's not due to snow, at least. Oh my God! Bite your tongue. Exactly. <laughs> Although I have to tell you, it's really, really cold here in Boston. Yeah, it's really cold here in New York too, and I'm wearing like little tiny, um, not warm shoes because f you sub zero temperatures in spring. <laughs> That's why I'm I'm cutting off my toes to spite my face. So. Um, all right, let's jump right into our first topic, which is parenting messaging parenting messaging messaging boards. Um, <laughs> I think I was conflating that with your name, Messenger. Oh, sorry. Uh, parenting messaging boards. There are all different kinds. Uh, there, there are boards from parents for parents of twins, single moms, breastfeeding moms, local like neighborhood specific boards, which is what I have most experience with. Um, everything you can think of, really. If if there's a topic out there for a parent, there is a board on the internet for for that parent. Um, and I have to say that when my kids were little, our neighborhood listserv was a lifesaver. I mean, if I had a question about a weird rash or needed a recommendation for a pediatrician or just wanted to get together with some other parents at the park, I would turn to my neighborhood listserv. Well, you are really fortunate because I have to tell you that when my son was growing up, there was nothing like that. There was nothing. And I was in a new neighborhood. Um, I didn't drive, and I had nobody to ask any questions to. And then as technology came along, and I saw that parents were able to reach out to other people and say, hey, I have to find a pediatrician. Do you have any recommendations? I was so insanely jealous of these people. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to have another baby again all over <laughs> just so I could take advantage of it. <laughs> yeah. Eric, I mean, as a dad, are you on those boards a lot? Ah. Uh. I'm kind of on there mostly as an editor. Uh, so it's sort of on like your own, but your own sites for it. <laughs> it kind of keeps me um, sharp in a way. Uh, but I don't pretend that I'm a woman, and I don't pretend. Well, there have to be boards for <laughs> lots of boards for dads, and, and uh, it, you know, I, I I don't like the bifurcation of that. Uh, I've been nothing but welcomed on the on parenting boards, even though they're ninety eight percent female. Yeah, and. Uh, Lately, I've been feeling really great about my own neighborhood's board. I, I just, I, I think there's the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we should talk about all that. But, the, but the good is overwhelming. You yeah. Know? Um, and I would just really encourage people to seek it out if they're if they, if they're feeling you know they're, they're not connected to the parent to other parents. Yeah, it, that's it, so interesting because I my only experience with Urban Baby and it was a horrible, horrible, horrible <laughs> um, yeah. cesspool of mean 
snarky, you know, trolls. I think particularly for parents looking um, at schools, like when parents reach either the pre-K or the K year, where parents are just mercilessly ranking all the different schools and commenting on what kids are like at each of them and what kind of parent would send their kids to each of one. You know, it was like, it was really so awful that of course it was awesome um <laughs> but but it was just um i was so happy to be done um and never go back to those boards and i i will admit i lurked on them all the time when i wanted to see what people were saying about our school because <laughs> it was always fun to see um but i that was my only experience with urban baby and i just found it to be a really toxic place yeah and you know that's that's the thing now that my kids are older i'm not really on the board to get information, I'm really there to watch the drama because there there is a lot of drama. I, I think the best example of that, a lot of our listeners might even know this one, is the Park Slope Parents Board, um, which had this incident that made the national news a while back where somebody posted saying that she had found a blue boy's hat. And, you know, I'm going to put it here in case it's yours. And somebody else posted saying, well, why are you assuming that it belongs to a boy just because Whoops. it's blue? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it devolved from there into this like hundreds, maybe even thousands of comments long argument about gender issues and stereotyping. It got really ugly and it hit the national news. And I think that that one incident really helped solidify Park Slope as like the ideal example of entitled parents sitting around with too much to do. <laughs> yeah, it, it right. really did not. It, that's your your old. That's where you grew up, Rebecca, right? Yes, but when I was growing up, if there had been boards like that, it would have been where to find the best pot, where the um, <laughs> community board education meeting was happening that night, so people could like put rotten tomatoes in their bags in preparation. <laughs> like it was a very hippy dippy. Um, there wasn't a lot of entitlement in that kind of thing. Although maybe you know, I mean, look, that is when the food co-op started. Um, so there's always some self-righteous anger in there, um, self-righteousness. But I do think I can see it being a lifeline for people. If you are home and isolated, feeling like you are the worst parent ever or the first parent to have a child who refuses to ever take a nap or, you know, your kid suddenly refuses to eat something that they ate every day and you are panicked and you go online and there's a million other people who are, you know, saying, yes, you can do this, and yes, try or try this pediatrician, or try this. I mean, I guess I use Facebook for all that. I don't really use those specific um, boards, but I could see how as a new mom, if I had found that when I was home with my twins, you know, for so many hours by myself, um, I could have seen that being a really good thing, or not, or someone would have just been, you know, ridiculing me and doing me horrible, <laughs> making me feel terrible. I don't know if it goes either way. No, I do hop on Facebook a lot for that kind of thing. Um, when it's like a general thing, but when it's something in my neighborhood, I mean, that's the neighborhood listservs are incredible and not just for kids stuff. Like I got a plumber recommendation from them this morning when I had a, a an emergency plumbing issue. So those are fantastic as long and as that's they don't. Invaluable. Don't you just feel like that's invaluable? That's someone who lives right near you who maybe has been in the same situation as you, whether it's a plumber, a pediatrician, a preschool, a rash, anything. Yeah, and it's not Yelp. It's not, you know, they're, they're, nobody's going on there just to bash something. Like, it's a bunch of local exactly. parents just giving their, their authentic opinions to help people. Yeah. You know, I should add that uh, my listserv is on Facebook. Oh. You know, and there are about oh. 6,000 people on it. And uh, Facebook is incredibly conducive to have a, 
for this kind of thing. Uh, it's very positive. The, the person who runs the board says, everyone has to play nice in the sandbox or you're out. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And um, you actually can get notifications when your friends post to the board. Oh, as opposed to just Everyone. some random person. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's really handy. Um, and I, mu I must say, uh, you know, because, you know, again, play nice or you're out. Uh, just yesterday, someone posted the most personal thing about her, de her internal debate on whether to have a second child or not. And that went Everyone started sharing, because who hasn't wrestled with that, whether you have one or more children? Yeah. So, you know, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know, what's interesting about it being on Facebook is you lose the anonymity. And I think the mean and the snarky and the trolling happens on the blank parenting boards because it's completely anonymous. You know, I always think what would happen, if, you know, when they had a lot of hacking going on, I think, what would everyone do all of a sudden if who they really were was revealed? Yeah, on those parenting boards like Urban Baby and be like mortified to see who was saying those things. But Facebook, maybe that is what's nice about that is when you take out the anonymity, people have to play nicer. Um, it's a lot harder to say that awful stuff to say to someone like, ooh, your daughter's at that school. Only yeah. the morons go to that school. <laughs> you know, everyone knows who you are. Well, I remember meeting a celebrity once at an event a few years ago who is a very well-known uh, actress and mother. And she said that she was on one of the, you know, just normal, non-celebrity uh, boards all the time. She didn't give her real name, you know, she had a pseudonym, but she was on there all the time because she knew that she could just get authentic advice if nobody knew who she was. So I, I think there's some people for whom the anonymity is good. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I do think people should check them out. I think that, um, you know, if it, if it, or start one. I mean, I assume on Facebook it's probably really easy to start that group and, you know, and just keep it monitored and regulated and, and kind of figure out what works for you in your community. There's no reason not to start your own. Oh, yeah. ours, the, Our neighborhood one started out with, I think, about 20 parents who were all the members of a church playgroup and um, grew from there. Now I think there are like 2,000 members. So, yeah, do it. If you need one, do it. Andrea, why didn't you start one? <laughs> you know, I should have done. <laughs> well, I needed to wait for the internet first. But, um, <laughs> a little small thing there. But you know what? I should have started one. I really should have because I worked in technology early on and I worked with computers early on. And I think I was just so busy trying to work and trying to be a parent and figure everything out that it never occurred to me, you know, that you could, could use this in the social way, which, of course, look at us 25 years later. Um, I really, truly wish I had started one. Yeah, and, and, you know, I said that it was a huge lifesaver when my kids were little, but that actually didn't start until my son was one. For the, the first year of my son's life, the first year that I was a mom, I lived an extremely isolated existence in a terrible neighborhood in New Jersey. And I was on the Internet, but it was mostly, like, for email and looking up movie reviews. Like, I didn't realize that there were all these communities of parents and Baby Center and all that. I knew none of that. Which was kind of good and kind of bad because I didn't have anybody second guessing me. I just kind of did my own thing for the first year. But yeah, like if I had known that those existed, I totally would have started one in my neighborhood. It would have been awesome. It would have changed that first year. That would have been amazing. Yeah. And I mean, I liken it to, you know, going to 
at the local preschool or the, the temple or whatever, and you see people posting up things on the bulletin board, you know, are you looking for a referral? Do you need a babysitter? You know, it's something like that where, you know, I was fortunate enough to be home two days a week, and I always wanted to meet the mom and say, do you know what your nanny's doing at the playground while your kid is playing <laughs> on top of the seesaw? You know, and, and so just to have had this opportunity to really talk to other parents and other parents who maybe want to share information, I think that would have been so beneficial. Yeah. yeah. You know, if I may, uh, one other thing that's really nice about it is uh, many, if not most, of the people turn to it when the kids are very young, but there are also some people who are there who end up being like elder statesmen. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and when they don't sound like they know it all, they actually, it's a a very incredibly helpful mix. Yeah. Yeah. It is helpful sometimes when you have the the parents of the older kids on the list who can give a little bit of perspective, um, because I think that it is mostly newer parents who are drawn to those things. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, excellent. Sounds like as long as you're not debating about gender issues, listservs are a good thing. So um, let's move on to our, our second topic. Um, which is mean boys, not mean girls, mean boys. And um, there was an article in New York Magazine a few months ago about a study that showed that the mean girl image may be a fallacy, that boys may be participating in that kind of behavior even more than girls. And we'll link to it on our Facebook page, but let me just read you a little bit um, of the article. It said that uh, this group did a study using, quote, surveys conducted every year to get a sense of how often they dished out and were victimized by relational aggression. This was um, students between uh, 6th and 12th grade, both genders. They found that despite countless pop culture treatments that would have you believe otherwise, boys were actually a bit more likely than girls to engage in relational aggression. And they significantly outnumbered girls among the kids engaging in moderate or high amounts of meanness. Girls, however, were more likely to report having been targeted. So that's, that's interesting. Girls were probably getting attacked by other girls and by the boys. Yeah, and sometimes it's the boys egging the girls on. Yeah. I know, um, and this is just anecdotal, I don't have my studies, but um, when I was in middle school, I can tell you that a lot of the girls that were turned against or that that happened to, there was usually a boy, if not in the center of that, right there near the center where huh. there was, a, you know, maybe the boy liked this girl or maybe this girl was actually popular with the boys and then that would turn and become jealousy from other girls. And oh, then the boys sort of egged that on. Um, so it, it was still kind of about a boy or had a boy at the center of the, like, ringleader-ish area. And certainly they joined in gleefully, <laughs> the boys, I will say that, too. And I know in my daughter's school last year, I mean, her, the biggest bully in her grade was a boy, and it wasn't physical at all. He was a, like, cool, taunting, you know, would take pictures of people on Instagram and then put them through the fat app and then share them. You know, he was... Oh, I hate that. Oh, yeah, he was absolute he was such the instigator and he definitely had a lot of girls who followed his lead because they wanted to like impress him so do we just have this image because of tina fey and her wonderful movie like (laughs) is is it really just a fall well eric you you happen to write an article right around the same time that this other article came out about your own 10 year old son how did you and we'll link to that on facebook um how did you handle this this topic with your son it's it's evergreen and ongoing, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I think no one would be surprised but that by that quote, Amy, that you put out that, you know, wow, boys are, are nasty to each other, <laughs> you know, right? I mean, I don't know, you have a son too, but maybe he has a nicer crew than my son. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I look at their their um, instant messaging, you know, it's like, they're, I should say my son has just turned 11, and they're, you know, it's almost like they're role-playing like, old like men their image of men or something and that speaks a lot about that but you know it's like you're a douchebag you're you're, i'm sorry you're a pussy i mean it's really like yeah you know stuff you're like wow i thought we i thought we talked our our kids about being good to each other and then you see this stuff and it's like hey you know maybe we should be talking about it as a culture as we're doing now and is it like that playful kind of thing where we'll call each other names or is it like serious well here here's here's where i would start with that um, Re- Rebecca brought up bullying. I think you know maybe we should distinguish between a kind of you know. I mean, I think it, I, I personally am a, a fan of all the anti-bullying consciousness that we've heard the last couple of years. But maybe we should distinguish between um, that obvious you know insidious, over-the-top bully and maybe uh, a more kind of casual, put-down culture. Uh, amongst children that can go too far mm-hmm. you know and I and so I, in answer to your question I'd say that um, with boys you know it's like boys will be boys but then there's the one who actually really has an edge mm-hmm. you know and who's really kind of nasty for for, inter- for for personal reasons and unfortunately often that's the alpha boy just yeah. like it's the alpha girl who kind of like you know is a sense the ringleader yeah yeah. So, so I, that's been my experience, and um, okay, yes, I haven't really had to deal with this with my son. He's thirteen, and I'm not saying it's not going on. I'm saying that he won't tell me any of it. Like he's he's. I mean, this is not a new thing. Ever since he was four and starting pre-K, I would ask him what what happened in his day, and I would get one word, you know, answers and grunts. He he never wants to tell me anything. Um, I hope that if something like this was going on, he would come to me. Usually he kind of indicates to us that he's upset about something so that we will draw it out of him. He doesn't, like, want to volunteer it to us. Um, But I really, I honestly don't know if it's a problem. And when I was his age, I was in with a pack of of mean girls. So I don't remember boys really being part of that. We were just being mean to each other. Yeah, that's interesting. I definitely also had a pack of mean girlfriends. Um... And, you know, there was definitely psychological warfare being (laughs) waged by girls in in very different ways. Um, And I think that maybe is also one of the reasons we have this stereotype that somehow we think boys are physical always and girls are psychological. And I think probably there's a lot of mixing in the middle there. Um, If you look at local news reports lately about girls who are fighting and bullying each other, not even bullying, like seriously fighting. Oh, that one at McDonald's. That was a serious fight. So I think that, um, you know, probably when boys act this way that's not physical, my guess is they get away with it a little more um, because it's not what teachers and parents are looking for. They're not looking for the boys who are teasing. I think teasing is a big part of it, right? So it's not bullying, but there's, like, a lot of teasing. There's a lot of psychological care. I know with boys, um, you know, it starts to be about questioning masculinity and, you know, calling each other gay slurs and all that kind of stuff becomes part of it. And I think with girls you get a lot more of this undermining of each other. Um, 
but I think boys can contribute to that. I don't think I don't think boys stay in their corner and girls stay in theirs. I think there's especially once you get to middle school, there's just a lot of intermingling. And I can see how that all gets sort of mashed up as everyone's competing to be the alpha whatever. That you know, why not take your lead also from a boy who's not so segregated anymore by gender. Yeah, it's, you brought up an interesting point because this article that we were referring to actually ends by saying it could be that there's some confirmation bias going on. We're so sure that girls are more into this kind of meanness than boys that that's what we see when we observe everyday life. Right. And Eric, I love the point you kind of tie in in your piece about sort of what's going on with rape on college campus and sexual yeah. assault. And, and even if you look at Twitter right now, if you look at what's going on with Twitter trolling against women on Twitter, um, that's not, there's no way some guy in his 20s woke up one day and decided to be a nasty, misogynistic yeah. dude. Like, he obviously had that in him the whole time, and Twitter's sort of unleashing this whole other part of men. Um, I think it's not hard to see that that's going on. It would, it would be fantastic if we, you know, as a parenting culture, uh, talked more about how to, you know, raise young men on their own terms, you know, with empathy and things like that, and why that's important, you know, why that's not wimpy, <laughs> if you will. Uh, right. And that certainly could would probably lead to a better place all around as they as they get older in so many ways, you know. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Do you think that it's kind of, um, you know, you talk about the, the I'm going to say vindictive or the meanness or the emotional ways that girls do stuff like that. You know, they plot, they plan, they're really... Um, very cruel and I do think that boys behavior and maybe I've just never witnessed it I've just never really seen a boy um, and I know bullying is, is a horribly cruel thing but I just feel like it's a when boys engage in behavior like that it seems to be more physical and more blatant yeah I just yeah, don't think I just don't think we should like, give them a slide though at all you know no no I'm not saying okay. that at all but, I mean, I think that I think it would behoove parents to teach their boys to be just as empathetic. But we're having issues teaching girls to do that. I mean, we see all these videos on YouTube of girls beating up other girls. And, you know, it's hard enough to teach empathy and not being mean to each other to girls. I'm not saying we shouldn't teach it to boys, but I do think there's a difference in the way kind of boys' behavior is manifested. Well, look at all the threats against Ashley Judd last week on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You know, she she w dared to give her opinion about basketball yeah. online, and she saw the same thing that Kurt Schilling's daughter saw, rape threats and death threats and all this really, really horrid stuff. And like you guys just said, you know, somebody didn't wake up one day and decide that it was okay to say this on Twitter. Like, they've been hearing this kind of stuff all their life and they just think it's okay and then they get on a, a platform that's anonymous and they just let loose right yeah right a lot of times it's it's you know in the early you know 11 12 13 9 10 11 it's 
it's kind of innocent, but they don't, you know, it's like you look at it and like they don't really know what they're saying. Yeah, right. <laughs> you right. know, testing it out. But, but, it, but, and we're, but we're not jumping into the void and saying, hey, guys, you know, yes, this is fun and innocent and we get why this is funny to you. But let's talk about, you know, friends who may be hurt by some of this behavior. Right. Even, as my although, son feels it. Even know. me just okay. 10 minutes ago was saying, well, were they really calling each other names and hurting each other or was it just for fun? Like yeah. it's it. And for a teenager, I keep forgetting that it's really hard to draw that line. You know, I know what that line is as an adult. I know which of my friends I can call a bitch and she gets that I'm not calling her a bitch. But for kids, it's a lot harder. And, and right. Amy, you said, you quoting that article, and it was like, the girls still report it more, right? At the end of the, right, there was a quote that said, it may be, boys may be doing it just as much as more, but girls will still tell people, right? I, I think that they were, they were likely to report, report yeah, they were yeah. more likely to report having yeah. been targeted. And, you know, I, I, I think that for boys, it might be an embarrassment thing. Exactly. It, it, this, and that's part of the problem, right? It's like we, yeah. we really, we can't talk to them about it, and they can't tell anyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I, I, and I know I'm, I'm, I'll be very personal right now. Uh, I have a son who's like, you know, he's kind of alpha-ish. He's not like someone who cows away from, you know, standing up for what he believes. But he has a little bit of a tormentor. And I think he's right. I think I think the the, the tormentor is out of line, and uh, and I'm really struggling with what to do about it. Oh, and, that's and, and, really hard. Yeah, yeah. it's. Just, I mean, we all. You know, we. These. This is the classic situation. Yeah, there have been I went the, through it last year with my daughter. It's hard. <laughs> there's a history with the parents. You oh. know, there's. Uh, if you go to the school, you escalate. Uh, my son, you know, he's he wants help. He doesn't want help. He's all confused. And I'm confused, too, a little bit, actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I was bullied a bit in, uh, I guess it would have been elementary school, like later elementary school. And my parents never knew. I mean, I would have died if somebody had told my parents and they had gone to a teacher or the principal. Like, that was the last thing I wanted, even if it would have solved the problem. Right. Yeah. Right. It's hard because your kids are spending all their time with really much more time with their peers than they are with you. Right, as they get older, they spend less and less time with you. So well, the peer group just becomes more and more important. Eric, you actually mentioned that in your article. You mentioned a Malcolm Gladwell um, article uh, that that was saying how much more peers affect children than their parents do, which is so scary but so true. Yeah, right, because they're idiots. They're friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I should have. Brought, I we're also smart. And exactly. <laughs> You know, just just to sort of, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going away from the lightness of that. I apologize. Um, a few years ago, this great journalist, Peg Ty- Tyra, wrote this wonderful book about boys and education. And I'm looking, do you all know about that? You must remember that. No. Yeah. It was called The Trouble with Boys, a surprising report card on our sons, their problems at school, and what parents and educators should do about it. Hmm. And you know, she put out all the statistics. I think we all know this, right? That boys are left back at twice the rate. They're diagnosed with more learning problems and attention issues. Uh, they get more C's and D's. They're, you know, the honor society is now 70% girls. And her argument, uh, I'm going to oversimplify, but her argument was that schools don't do a good job of, of educating 
uh, the schools are, are, are girl-centric. 95% of the, of the teachers are women, yeah. and generally speaking, they don't do a good job of, of, of reaching boys. Instead, they sort of hold up barometers that are similar to the uh, barometers that uh, they hold up for girls, and it's just not working anymore. And I think this is one of those issues where, like, how do we not pathologize boys? How do we not just say they're assholes? <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 but at the same time, how do we sort of get in there and address this? Because they're every bit as mean to each other as girls are. It may be right. in different ways. Um, so I think it's great that we're talking about it. That's interesting because my, my husband went to an all-boys high school. And he thought that it was the best thing ever. Um, you know, it, it just, it because you could gear everything towards the way boys learn. And I think it would have been wonderful for both of my children, but we were very pro-public school. And, you know, how many public schools are there in New York City that are all boy or all girl? I think you can count them on one hand. Zero. <laughs> so, you yeah. know, the options just aren't there, but there have been so many studies showing that it really does benefit kids when they're, you know, when you can gear it towards their gender. And That's I wonder like a if... That's whole other conversation, man. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I also wonder how that would affect bullying and all that other stuff, you know, when, when... Well, you know what I think the difference is at the heart of that, of single-sex education, is you are dealing with educators who are only, who are really focused on that gender, right? So yeah. you have an expertise level... Um, that is not, you can't duplicate that in a public school. As Eric was saying, like when you have 95% of your teachers are women, I'm sure that's not true in an all-boys school. Yeah. Um, just like I know the all-boys schools in New York, they have multiple recess in the younger grades because yeah. they know the boys need that. Like yeah. there is a real conscious, um, you know, attempt to, to have what that gender needs to strengthen them. But I don't know if it's real-world training or not. I don't know. Yeah. The whole other conversation. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, I went to an all-girls school. So I went to an all-girls school for junior high school and high school. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that we didn't, you know, that we weren't bullied or that there weren't mean girls. And it doesn't mean that it was handled in any different way. It's just that the focus was on, I think, you know, a different style of learning or a different approach. But there were still the cliques. There were still the basic, um, you know, like what you have in a normal mainstream environment. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So there's no solution, right? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Unless we're going to overhaul the all the school systems, there's right, no solution. They survive childhood. Yeah. yeah. Like or or we could fix other parents. Get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fi fix the other parents. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to our our last topic, which is our digital dilemma, and we've touched on this before um, about using tech devices at mealtimes, and um, some researchers did, did an interesting thing. They Now, the, the participants in this study were not knowing, they were not knowledgeable of the fact that they were participating in it. These were just researchers surreptitiously watching 55 caregivers, usually a parent, eating and interacting with one or more children, and these kids were um, anywhere from infants to 10-year-olds, in fast food restaurants all around Boston. They just watched parents interacting or not with their kids. Oh, looks like you guys are getting some announcements behind you. Oh, they're trying to throw us out of where we are, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we will mute our phones. Fight, fight the power. Um, so uh, this, this was happening in Boston, and of the 55 caregivers that they watched, 40 used a mobile device during the meal. And 16 of those adults used the mobile device throughout the uh, entire meal. 
And um, three adults gave a device to the child to keep the youngster occupied. I'm actually surprised it was that low. I'm I'm surprised that there's not more of that because I can't tell you how many times my husband and I walk into a restaurant and there's a, a family there and each kid at the table has an iPad mini or some sort of tablet to keep them company. He always says to me, don't you wish we had that when Matthew was little? <laughs> and each and every time. And there's always, you know, like 20, 25% of the restaurant with kids with tablets. Yeah. So I don't know if it's geographical or what, but I'm surprised that's as low as it is. Yeah, but, you know, and, and, and the people who did the study, they did acknowledge that it was a very small sample from, you know, just one city. Um, I, I have an even smaller sample in my study. It's just my daughter and my son. And, you know, we've talked about this before. My daughter, she wants my attention if we're out to a meal, and I'm happy to give it to her. My phone does not come out. But my son, we're both on our phones. We both want to be on our phones. He couldn't care less if I talked to him. He'd rather I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> How about you guys? You know, I try not to be on my phone because I do. And my son is older, but, I, you know, I do tell him if he eats the best, please put your phone down. So I try really, really hard not to not to pick it up not you know just to kind of make work not a priority at mealtime so i have to say i probably would try to stick to that if you know if we were having dinner every night as a as a family if you were younger i i'm all for trying to put your devices away for a little bit and enjoying your family and go ahead yeah you know what i i i I, I, lately i've been liking this idea um you know sometimes cold turkey is hard, right? We, we, I think before we got on the air, we talked about uh, bread diets and, <laughs> and all, all that stuff. And, you know, we, we're, we, you know, the four of us especially are, are uh, creatures, uh, adult creatures of this, of this digital age. Uh, lately, I've been trying this thing where it's like, okay, guys, why don't we all kind of get out of our, get our E jollies out for a second, and everyone go on for a few minutes, and then we'll all put. So we sort of like contain it. That's excellent. You know, and then we and then and then it's over. Yeah. Now we're eating. Now we're family. Now we're we're in. (laughs) I I'll actually do that. The only time that I ever really use a phone um, at a restaurant with my daughter is if we're on a road trip and I was the one driving. So I haven't looked at my phone in six hours, and I just want to like take five minutes to just make sure there was nothing really important. Nobody texted me. Um, yeah, so I really like that idea of getting your e-jollies out. <laughs> Let's be honest, right? <laughs> That's great. And But I'm, I'm surprised. Like, it sounds like all of us um, are, are on the same page about this, the four of us, and yet 40 out of the 55 parents, when they weren't being, you know, when they didn't know they were being watched, they were on those devices. You know, the interesting thing about that article, if I remember it correctly, was as parents... Uh, most of these articles are all about us fretting about uh, what uh, e-jollies are doing to our kids, right? But this article sort of had this kind of raised these questions about, hey, are we lapsing as parents by being poor role models, right? Or we, by not no by not not being in the moment? Yeah. It kind of flipped it back and said, well, what what are we losing here as as parent as parents? Is this bad parenting? And I think that's a great way to talk. That's another equally valid way to talk about this issue. Well, a- according to the article, um, especially with the younger kids, what we're losing is eye contact. Mm. That kids search their parents' eyes for social cues and that when their parents aren't looking at them, you lose all of that. And I find that fascinating because we talk about kids not making eye contact with grown-ups now. You know, they're not, they're not 
you know, talking to grown-ups and actually looking at them because they're so used to talking to people and being head down in a device somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're raising antisocial kids who have fantasies. We are. <laughs> well, we're teaching them to be antisocial. Well, as long as um, everybody ends up antisocial, then it's okay. It's like when, when you serve garlic, everybody has to have some, and then everybody's right. okay. So we just have to level the playing field. Yeah, I think the saddest thing from that study is, and almost what you said at the beginning, was that, that kids want your oh, bad We're losing lesson. you. Rebecca, come back. Come back, we're, we're, we're losing, losing you. you. Can you not come hear back, me? I'm yeah. trying to get away from loud people. Oh. I was going to say that it's really, it's really, really pathetic when the fact is your kids just want your attention and yeah. you're staring at a screen. Yeah. Um, it's really, a, it's just sad. Well, you're giving them the, the, the message that they're not as important, that you can't make them a priority, that you can't put everything aside because you have to ma you know, manage your device and your screen and your work while they need your attention. And that's not a good message to send. At a mealtime. No. At a mealtime. Because yeah. my, yeah. my daughter, if she had the choice, I would never be on my phone or computer at home. And I'm sorry, that's my time. You know, like a lot of the time she doesn't even want to do anything with me. She's like, why are you on your computer? I'm like, I don't know. Why are you watching TV? Like, why do you care? So, you know, I, I think that there, that it's good to set boundaries for certain times, but then also at other times to tell the kids I'm doing what I want to do at this time and you go find something else to do. You know, we all, um, for a few years now, we all wrestle with variations of this theme. How much screen time is too much? You know, when when is it, will they, will, are we, as one of you just was joking, are we raising kids will be totally antisocial? Like, what are the boundaries? And one thing that's been very helpful for, for me uh, as a parent and also as an editor to suggest, like, looking at the whole child. Like, look at their lives. I mean, do they seem, I mean, because you know, in some cases, it's not a joke. Like, oh, the kids are, are are becoming antisocial. And in some cases, it is a joke because they're otherwise wonderful kids. So I, I, I always suggest to parents that maybe sort of take the holistic view, you know, not just not just hone in on this one issue, but say, hey, does your kids seem happy? Are they getting are they getting outside? Do they have friends? You know, and if like the answer is no, they're playing video games five, six hours a day. It's like, you know, wowza. Okay. Um, start start reaching out to friends and family and loved ones and and others to figure out you know maybe maybe this issue does to be does need to be seriously addressed maybe meal times do need to be seriously addressed if your child does seem to be someone who 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 is you know truly you know addicted to his e jollies or yeah. his or her e jollies Th <laughs> thoughts i don't you know yeah we actually have the same attitude towards talking to our kids about drugs um we don't know what we're going to say to our kids about drugs because it depends on how our kids are doing. Yeah. You know, I mean, if I caught my son smoking pot and he was an A student with lots of friends and never gets into trouble, that's going to be a different discussion than if he's failing out of school and has no friends and is a loser and is smoking pot in the basement. So, yeah, I think you do have to look at the whole kid. All of this is within a, a bigger context. Yeah. I, I, that's, I, that's very. That's a really interesting point that you you really do. It's not. It's not just a series of little dots. It's connecting them all and looking at the whole person. Yeah. Because it's, it's a wonderful issue, and parents struggle with how much they should wrestle with it. And I'm like, well, I, I don't think I don't think there is one answer, but but one really good answer is to look at the whole child. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, I, I think it's time to move on to our parenting bites of the week, the little recommendations that we give. 
And um, Eric, would you like to go first? Thank you very much. And let me just say it's a, it's really a, a privilege to be here. All of you are so you know, full of insight and care and all this stuff. So thank you for inviting me. Thank you for having um, for being here. So I, I'm going to, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is obvious or not obvious, but uh, a lot of your view, uh, listeners probably have heard of Gretchen, Gretchen Rubin, uh, the author of The Happiness Project, which is a was a best-selling book and a blog. And she has a new book just out called Mastering the Habits of Everyday Life. And I would simply say that uh, I don't know a, a parent, I don't know a parenting soul who finds parenting, the parenting life easy. I mean, it's full <laughs> of joy and happiness, but it's never easy. No. And what, even though uh, Gretchen's work isn't about, you know, exactly about parenting and only parenting, it really is about, you know, um, finding ways to, you know, enjoy your life. And she I, she is a parent, and we've quoted her a bunch of times in the magazine. And I think that's just a great, she's just a great source for parents and non-parents on whatever their issues are. And, and, and you know, so I'm just going to put that out there. And you could go to her website and sign up for her kind of daily uh, posts. And they're, they're always rich with with really helpful and insightful uh, stuff for uh, how to be. So there you go. Oh, excellent. She's wonderful. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Parenting Bites with Rebecca Levy. Um, Rebecca, what's your parenting bite this week? My bite of the week is um, a This American Life podcast episode. I think it's on March 13th. It's called Three Miles. Mm -hmm. It is the story of... It's episode 550. It's called Three Miles. It is the story of two schools in the Bronx. One, a very poor school where 97% of the kids are black and and uh, I think 100% are below the poverty line or qualify for free lunch. And Fieldston School, which is one of the elite private schools in New York City where tuition is $43,000 a year. Oh, my God. And they have a program where it's almost like a pen pal program where kids from the University Heights School in the Bronx, and they're three miles apart, that's it, these two schools. And they, at one point, have been, you know, kind of working together, students from Fieldston, students from the school in the Bronx, and they work back and forth and then they invited the kids from the Bronx, the low income Bronx school to Fieldston. And that part of the podcast is so phenomenal. <laughs> I can't begin to even I can't do it justice. You have to listen to it, but it's it's the reaction from the students upon seeing what it is like in an elite private school like that that's on the campus that's on the thing but it's just so unfathomable that kids in the same city are having that kind of educational experience when their school has you know no books and pencils um so i highly recommend listening to it especially for people who think they know what's what in the school system or don't understand what inequality is or any of those things because it's not preachy at all it is it's an absolutely incredible story. There's a girl at the heart of it um, who is an exceptional scholar at the underprivileged school that is just an exceptional person. Um, so I highly recommend everyone listen to it. 
Excellent. I definitely will. Um, Andrea, your bite? I will, too. So, okay, guess what, guys? I'm not doing a tech gadget this week. <gasps> Amy <laughs> no, brought one. Because, <laughs> oh, oh, I'm excited. Um, <laughs> here at the Sandbox Summit, I saw a presentation about something I was so blown away. Um, it's called Kane's Arcade. And Rebecca and I just saw this. The, the filmmaker who made this film about this extraordinary boy named Kane. Uh, and basically, you know, he hung out all summer in the back of his father's East L.A. auto repair shop. And he spent every day making toys out of cardboard boxes, real games. And he opened up an arcade and kept waiting for people come, to come and play his games. And this guy just happened along one day to get something for his car repaired, saw the arcade, um, bought the fast pass through the games, and just was so blown away by the way this nine-year-old used his creativity, imagination, and just cardboard boxes, because that's all he had. It's a wonderful, heartwarming story. It's a great film. I encourage you all to go online and watch it. But it's now sparked the um, Imagination Foundation, which is really based on reimagining how kids learn. And so they're having this worldwide creative day of play on October 10th, so there's plenty of time to mark your calendar and save your cardboard boxes. But, <laughs> you know, if you go to their Facebook page, you'll see, like, all these people have sent in pictures of what they've created with a cardboard box. They've gotten some grant money, some uh, foundation money. They've gone to, if I think it's something like 40 countries, the Clinton Global Initiative's involved. Anyway, it's really amazing. The, the premise is every child is gifted, and the website is imagination.org, and I encourage everyone to go check it out. Nice. Excellent. All right, that leaves me. Um, mine is, uh, it's not a tech gadget. It's not supposed to look like a gadget of any kind, but it does. Um, I, I did something kind of crazy yesterday. If you know me, you know that uh, I think my body is made up about 90% of white flour, whether it's from bread or pasta or whatever. And yesterday I decided to do an experiment. I'm giving up bread and pasta and potatoes and a bunch of other of my favorite starchy things for six weeks. And the only way I that can't I... believe it. <laughs> Yeah, my husband couldn't either. Um, the only way that I'm going to survive this, especially when I'm outside of my house, is if I always have snacks with me so that I don't just run to the nearest pizza place. So today as I was leaving, I wanted to bring a banana, but you can't just throw a banana into your purse. It doesn't work. The banana ends up all smushed and disgusting. I have this thing called a banana bunker, and it's a plastic holder for a banana stop laughing. It's a plastic holder for a banana, and um, it keeps the banana from getting smushed. It also happens to look very much like some kind of dildo. And I had originally bought it for my kids to take bananas to school. And when my husband saw this, he was like, there is no way that our kids are taking that to school. So that didn't fly. <laughs> but now I find myself using it since I always have to have snacks with me that I'm that I'm allowed to eat. So I'm going to put a picture of the banana bunker up on our Facebook page and uh, we'll, we'll link to where you can buy it on Amazon. I, I highly be the first one to go look at a picture of this banana bunker. I and hope nobody reports it as inappropriate. Well, my daughter <laughs> has actually taken it to school twice, and each time she does, I kind of sit there around lunchtime and wait for a call from the school. <laughs> but so far, so good. Um, Let me just say that, you know, everything she's saying right now is accurate. 
and that I'm so glad that I'm not calling in virtually and that I'm here. <laughs> so that you could see it for yourself. You know, she's given me the best story of my week so far. <laughs> All right. Well, if we I get an explicit rating on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, oh because of the banana bunker. Um, all right, so that's that's it for this week. Eric, thank you so much for being here. We will list all of the links to all of the things on your site that we talked about. Um, Andrea and Rebecca, get home safe from Cambridge, Mass. And uh, that's it for us. And please, 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 we would really appreciate it if you go to our Facebook page, check us out, go to, uh, to iTunes and give us a rating, subscribe, all of that. Um, our Facebook page is facebook.com slash parentingbytes. You can search iTunes for Parenting Bites, B-Y-T-E-S with a Y. And um, if you're not on iTunes, you can go to play.it and search for Parenting Bites there. Thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye-bye.